And if you're from Dalky or Cologne and you want to be a gangster rapper and rapping about how much your, your parents loved you and how much money they gave you every week, well, then that's what you should be doing too because it's the thing that will make you happy. Like you make your own story and your story is something you should be telling on reflection. It's not something you should be told before it even happens. You know, it should be predicted by my need to do this to fit in with everybody else. That's John Murray, widely regarded as Ireland's leading headshot photographer. His focus is on drawing out the personalities and inner strengths of each person he photographs, giving a sense of who they are to anyone looking in. Identity is such an enormous part of the marketing journey, and the camera lens often instills fear the first time out. It was John's scientific approach to taking that shot that inspired me to invite him into this podcast today. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. What is quite interesting to me about John and why I wanted to have him on today was something I'm going to read for you from his uh, website. And just give me a moment as I read this to you. And it says, John shows you how we have a gap between how we think we look and what we think the rest of the world expects us to look like, and a gap between who we feel we are as opposed to who we believe the rest of the world expects us to be. The aim is to close that gap. Now, the reason I really like this is because it's very, very clear what John's purpose is in terms of his business. And so he's not the traditional headshot photographer and applies a lot of science to how you look and feel and how comfortable you are on camera when he takes that shot. But what I'd like, perhaps, is for John to tell us a little bit more about what he does. And let's start that conversation because it's essentially about identity and identity is a very strong aspect of marketing. So welcome, John. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Thanks very much for having me on. So tell us a bit about how you started. Uh, John, how you started, like, can I make an assumption that you started as a headshot photographer, as a pure photographer, and then something happened? Because you are somewhere in the mix between photography and self-awareness and and God knows what else. <laughs> um, I started with photography as a hobby. I had a girlfriend who bought me a camera because well, basically she bought me tickets to a show and then the guy cancelled and she got her money back through Ticketmaster when Ticketmaster was a thing. Um, when people actually went to shows and she kind of felt guilty that she got her money back and it was a birthday present or something and she went and spent the money then on the camera because I was always kind of playing with hers and um, we broke up a while later and the camera kind of sat in the drawer and a neighbour who's a photographer a guy named um, Barry and he was he's just fantastic event photographer he used to shoot a lot of concerts and stuff and of course that seemed glamorous and great Um so I was like, I'll subscribe to that. And it, um, I kind of took photographs of, I, I was actually afraid to photograph people initially because every time I did, they tell me to look fat and old and ugly and they hated their face. And that's an awful picture of me, you know, and I, I felt like I was responsible for making that happen and making them feel that way. So I just took photographs of the likes of the lighthouse and Hote or the Botanic Gardens or 
abstract kind of photographs of stairs and train stations and things because they couldn't tell me they looked fat and old and ugly. And um, it kind of happened, it kind of progressed into me photographing neighbors, friends and kids and my niece and my wife's niece, niece and stuff like that. Um, and into actually photographing weddings and that kind of progressed into me photographing fashion work, um, magazine covers, behind the scenes at music videos and stuff like that. And that kind of progressed into like, I, I gained confidence in photographing people through those things. Um, I ended up working with Canon. Um, I did a bit of work with SanDisk as well, who make memory devices and Ellen Crom who make lights. And then in 2016, no, sorry, 20. 2014 or 2016 jesus time is uh, all over the place um it was 2014 that i trained with peter hurley the top headshot photographer in the world um and that kind of changed my focus like i, I was already shooting actors and models and stuff so i kind of saw my um my market for headshots in actors and models but a lot of actors and models are part-timers and they don't really do it that seriously and you know there's there's not a lot of money in that industry but people told me i was crazy just shooting headshots after i trained with peter because i had that interest in it but then it kind of developed into the self-awareness side of it as well um and now i do a lot of time i spend just as much time talking as i do taking photographs but tell us share with people the the science the thing that you've discovered which takes which removes that whole argument around people being uncomfortable in front of the camera. I'll have to give them my PayPal details beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> but um, give us a sense. Give us a sense. I know. Like it's, it's, I talk about this a lot. Whether it's in the studio and people are paying me or not, I, I talk about it. I talk about it in the pub, like well, when pubs were a thing. Um, the, the whole idea is that like everything starts and ends with the human brain. Also, like all information starts and ends with the human brain. Now, you know, for 90 million years we've had eyeballs and the only way we were able to see ourselves is in a rippled puddle outside a cave when we're trying to get water and for 90 million years we've existed in that way and then 200 years ago we got cameras which is a bit of a psychological kick in the teeth because we're not supposed to be able to see ourselves so now we have a device that's able to record what us as squishy thing humans are doing um, and and to, to display it and show it back to us now not a lot of people got to see those images. Not a lot of people got to see that stuff, but they didn't really know what they looked like anyway. So it didn't matter because the glass-based mirror was only invented 20 years after the camera. So 180 years ago, we got the mirror, which is another psychological kick in the teeth, but we're able to see ourselves and we believe we look like that. So for 180 years, we believe we look like the people in the mirror. And that's kind of ingrained and passed down through our DNA that when you see yourself in the mirror, that's what you look like. So you grow up with the understanding of you look like the person in the mirror. Then you have your photograph taken and it's the wrong way around. And your brain says, what's wrong here? Your your prefrontal cortex or the, the front of your brain is the, the problem solving part. And that's the bit that says, hold on, there's something wrong. You don't look like the person in the mirror in this image. So what's wrong? Why do I not look like that? And you pick one thing on your face you don't like. It's the same thing in every photograph and it's always there and you blame it on making you feel uncomfortable. Uh, generally, it's not that at all. It's actually the fact that the person in the, in the photograph is uncomfortable themselves. So if you meet somebody who's happy, you're happy with them. You bring yourself up to their level. If you're sad, if you meet somebody who's sad, you bring your energy level down to theirs. It's being empathetic. Whether they're happy or not, 
we kind of think of empathy as feeling sorry for somebody, but it's not. It's actually mimicking what other people are doing around you to be socially appropriate. And then we see the version of ourselves in the photograph that's a person who is actually uncomfortable. So back in a way, feeling terrible that you're going to have your photograph taken, knowing that you're going to have to see this picture, that weird thing is going to be in your face and it's going to make you feel crap. So we back away, we drive our heads back into our necks, we hold our eyes open like we don't want to blink. Um, and then we social smile. So we just smile with our mouths rather than our whole bodies. And it's the, I suppose, anti-candid photograph. It's the complete opposite of that photograph that you love, that you saw yourself at a party or a wedding and you didn't know somebody was taking it. Um, so the whole idea is that your brain still believes that's an actual person in front of you when you see that image of yourself and you just become empathetic to the person who's in the image. So if they feel uncomfortable, you feel uncomfortable for them. Um, and my job is to kind of close that gap and to stop people from feeling that way and help them to understand the differences between what the camera sees and what we see um, and how to counteract that and how to see themselves the way everybody else sees them. You know, that every single photograph they can have taken of themselves is that candid photograph where they have a genuine reactive expression on their face and they trust the expression they see and the person is genuinely happy and confident and comfortable. So you will always or nearly always like the photographs that you see of yourself unless you're really drunk and you're making a show yourself. That's your own problem. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this question. How do you smile with your whole body? You mentioned that earlier. So how do you smile with your whole body? Basically, the way it works is that it, it's all hormone-led, right? So everything, every movement you make is based on hormone release. So your hormones are directly linked to your body language, and your body language is directly linked to your hormone levels. So a genuine reactive smile runs from the tips of your toes to the top of your head because your whole body is full of serotonin and dopamine. Like If you see somebody who wins something, their hands go outwards and upwards. If you see somebody who is actually happy or they're smiling, a smile goes outwards and upwards. Um, a smile also goes outwards and upwards. Like You're carrying it through your shoulders and your body language and the whole lot. So it's all the way up through you because it's based on the fact that you're full of serotonin and dopamine. But it also happens in the upper part of the face as well in the muscle called the canthus muscle and the medial canthal tendon where they squeeze and they activate serotonin and dopamine release in the limbic system in the brain. Now, that's all very technical. Like if you just imagine somebody winning something, they go outwards and upwards. Their hands go outwards and upwards. Their body language gets bigger. Um, if you see two 16-year-old girls in a shopping center who haven't seen each other for 12 or 15 seconds, you know they're squealing, the, ha the hands go outwards and upwards, and they're running around the shopping center like mad things. Now, the opposite happens if you're stressed. You know, if you're going for a job interview or you're walking into my studio to have your photographs taken, you're full of fight or flight reaction hormones, um, dopamine or the um, adrenaline, uh, like all these kind of stress hormones are running through your, your, your system. So you're making yourself smaller and you're trying to protect yourself. So you're driving your shoulders forward. You know, you're pulling your head down or you're bringing your head back to make sure you can get a whole view of the whole room. You're holding your eyes open because you don't want to blink. And then you have this social smile who's a flat smile across your face, which is uncomfortable. And that's what we actually see in those um, posed photographs that we don't like of ourselves. So if somebody's genuinely happy, they look happy because they're full of stress. Like they're full of happy hormones like serotonin and dopamine, which makes their body language bigger um, and makes them look happier and more confident and more comfortable. And that's what we read again through empathy. You know, we match what we see in other people. And does that mean then... You know that um, tip that you we often hear about, you know, the Superman yeah, pose yeah. 
standing in that Superman pose. Is that what we're talking about here? That outward and upward? Yeah, that's just hijacking the hormone releases. You know, there's a whole thing. I remember being in LinkedIn and there was this one girl who came in as part of one of the teams. I was going to photograph her and she was really stressed out. Um, It was just before lunch. And like it happens a lot where people will cry in front of the camera or they just explode into tears just out of either stress or out of happiness. And she was very stressed. So she started crying. So we bring brought her into the back of the, the backdrop that I was using just so that she had a little bit of privacy. And I explained to her, fight or flight reaction hormones and fight or flight reaction is the same amount of hormones, the exact same hormones in the exact same doses released in the exact same way, but you make the physical distinction yourself and the decision whether you're going to be happy or you're going to be, so you're excited or you're nervous. And I made her tell me that she was excited over and over again until she actually started to believe it. And like, I, at one point I had her screaming at me, I'm excited. And we went down, we took a photograph and it was cool. So the very first photograph she we took of her after she came back out after crying is the one that she's still using on LinkedIn today. Um, because she'd made the determination that I'm excited. So it's it's pretty much all just a cocktail of hormones running through your system. And you decide whether you're going to stay and fight or you're going to run away. And you can't really stay and fight if it's having your photograph taken other than punch the photographer in the nose. And that's just not cool. <laughs> so there's something very empowering with about this information that you're able to present to people in terms of identity because... We have such fear around that. And I'm one of those people who would be have fear around getting my photograph taken and stuff like that. And I remember when I first did speaking gigs, that realization also of that telling yourself you're excited, that difference between fear and excitement is actually very powerful and a very empowering thing. So as a as a photographer, you have moved like, first of all, here now today in this session, we've kind of given people some tips of how to switch their thinking about how they present themselves, that they, and it's not necessarily about faking it. It's about, as you said, hijacking the hormones or leveraging the hormones in a kind of conscious way to present yourself in the way that you want to be, to be received. It's unusual for a photographer to move into the space of self-awareness and stuff. And, And I presume that has also dictated your move away from just actors and stuff, that you have a very strong audience around business people, because this is possibly a very, very strong fear for business people and entrepreneurs when they're trying to put themselves and their identity and their story out there. (laughs) um yeah there you go that was shortest answer ever best radio interview ever it's like yes like father stone and father ted just one word answers um yeah like i struggled with self-image for years because i kind of i grew up in the city center i went to marion college i didn't really fit in I, i kind of talk about imposter syndrome a lot because i felt like for my whole teens i didn't fit in i'd smashed my teeth in as a kid um so I had a root canal on one of my front teeth and I had the, the tooth had gone brown. Now, as if that wasn't bad enough, I had a, a temporary brace across the front of my teeth because every Thursday I went into the dental hospital and got poked and prodded by uh, dental students because my tooth had fused in the gum, which doesn't happen. Teeth break and they break and then that's it because they don't have the um, perfusion or the, the blood flow and the nutrients to, to reheal. But mine did. So I was like some science experiment for for kids, uh, student medical or student dentistry students, um, and 
so I always had this temporary brace across my teeth that looked like wet bread on top of the fact that one of my teeth was brown. Um, so I went through all of my teenage years being really uncomfortable in how I looked. Then the fact that I had imposter syndrome because I didn't really fit in in school. And then I came out of school and then I spent the rest of my life, I suppose, the, the, the next kind of 10 years trying to be everything to everybody and trying to kind of fit in. And it just, I felt like I was a bit lost in who I was. And I think that's all kind of led into the way things are now, you know, it, it empowering people to see themselves the way they really are and to understand who they really are. So that gap is not just what we think we look like and what we think everybody else is expecting from us. It's who we believe we are as opposed to who we believe the rest of the world expects us to be too. Now you can be from Dawkey and your parents can be solicitors or doctors and you might feel like you need to do that as well because everybody you know is an academic and everybody you know has gone into a professional life like that. And if you could be from Finglas or the city centre where I'm from and everything you see around you is either taxi drivers, builders, um, people who work in manual labour jobs and supermarkets or people who just don't work. Um, and you kind of feel like that's the life that's kind of laid out for me, you know. That's, that's what's set out for me. But if you want to be from Finglas or you want to be from Pier Street where I'm from in the city centre and you want to be a professional violin player or a cellist, well, that's what you should be doing, you know, because it's the thing that's going to make you happy. And if you're from Dawkey or Colony and you want to be a gangster rapper and rapping about how much your, your parents loved you and how much money they gave you every week as you're an allowance, well, then that's what you should be doing too because it's the thing that will make you happy. You know, it's a thing that will fulfill you. Like you make your own story and it should be, your story is something you should be telling on reflection. It's not something you should be told before it even happens. You know, it shouldn't be predicted by, I need to do this to fit in with everybody else. It's the same when it comes to the physical self-image as well. You know, people are going around at the moment, they're going around with, you know, generic mouth number one and generic mouth number two because they feel like, well, celebrities are doing it and you know, we're seeing all these Instagram influencers and stuff are doing it now. So I need to change myself to conform to everything else that's around me. But you don't need to do that either. Like we had the false tan craze a few years ago where, you know, lads were going home with girls from nightclubs and they were waking up next to the shrouded terrain on the bed. You know, that the pillow was completely different. And the girl <laughs> had gone from, I thought you were slightly Spanish last night. You know, now you're like, what? <laughs> Casper the friendly ghost I woke up next to. Um, like these things are... You know, but if you look at, it, I remember having this conversation actually with a friend, and she had gone off to a world congress with Junior Chamber in Japan, and she said all the Japanese girls were making themselves, or no, all the African girls were making themselves paler, all the Irish girls and the English girls were covering themselves in false tan, and the Japanese girls were looking at this transformation, going, "What is wrong? Like, why are you making yourself one way? Like, you're making yourself paler, and you're making yourself darker. Like, you're supposed to be different." You know, we're supposed, like seven and a half billion of us on this planet, we're all supposed to be different. We're all supposed to look different. Even twins are different. In Thailand, they say same, same, but different. Now, I know they're talking about counterfeit handbags, but it kind of applies to twins and stuff like that as well. <laughs> like we're psychologically, neurologically, physiologically, we're all different. Every single one of us on this planet. Um, and we're not supposed to be matchy, matchy, looky, likey. It, it just looks weird, you know. Let me ask you another question. That was better than yes, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit longer, yeah. <laughs> that story that you've just told us about how you've grown, where it all kind of started when you were in school and the tooth and the teeth and moving through as you've moved through that whole journey and actually embrace this idea of 
well, or this lucky consequence of a gift that you got because of a cancelled show landed a camera in your lap and you started this whole journey that has taken you very, very firmly where you are now, where you stand front and centre in. Like you feel very sure and certain of who you are and you embrace it and you embrace that idea of uniqueness. And that's a journey that most entrepreneurs face because for me, marketing often asks the question of who you are and where you're positioned and why why you are and all of these things. So I kind of want to understand from you What was the turning point that flipped you from your unsureness and that, you know, uh, imposter syndrome and flipped you into this very strong, self-assured, leading headshot photographer, but more than that? Like what has what happened? What was the turning point? Um, yes, (laughs) there's been You're just mean now. Oh, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. There's been a few, I think. Like, I'm a bit of a, like, I don't set goals. I don't do any of the kind of generic things that people tell you that you should do as a business owner and stuff. So I'm a bit of, like, I keep telling people I'm like a leaf on a stream and I'm just floating down. I'll eventually end up in the sea somewhere. And like that's wherever I end up, I end up. The like, So I'm not really kind of dictated by convention and i'm not really dictated by looking at certain goals and trying to achieve them i just kind of go with the flow and i get where i need to be because it's where i'm supposed to be like it's it, it's where it naturally leads to I, I i have to disagree with you yeah no I, I i know a lot of people do and no no wait will i tell you how why i'm disagreeing yeah, with you do. Be- because I'm not disagreeing. This this feel of the leaf flowing and that's following flow. And I'm a real proponent of following flow, following joy and all that. But you you are not uh, devoid of goals because you have a very, very clear positioning piece. And that shows intention. Yeah, I, I think the intention... And I applaud you for it, just by the way. Oh. It's not a negative thing. I, no, no, I, I love seeing I that. Do. <laughs> I do. I understand what you're saying. I never had the intention of being where I am now. My intention was all, always to kind of make a career elsewhere. And like, But I just kind of plod along in my own little world. And whatever happens, happens. You know, I don't set out to do things intentionally. Um, and if something piques my interest, you know, I'll read up on it or I'll go and I'll do a course if I want to because it seems like a good idea at the time. I'm learning Chinese at the moment just for the crack. Um, and like, that's just my, that's the way my life kind of flows. And I think one of the turning points was when I met Peter Hurley, you know, in uh, 2004. I was very lucky to meet him and I was very lucky to, to kind of experience that. Um, and uh, not 2004, 2014. Um, and you know, he showed me an image actually, and he said, "Look, it, what do you think of this girl? She's beautiful." And I said, "Oh, she's amazing! Look, I'd love to photograph her." Um, and we, we're having a conversation about people not recognizing themselves in photographs. I said, "You ever just flip the photograph horizontally and give it back to them?" And he said, "No, never do that." They were like, "Oh my god, it looks like me now! I only flipped it around so it looks like you in the mirror." You know, that's I. I kind of done it once or twice in the start of my career, just when people. It wasn't even a career. I was just doing it for fun at that stage. And they kind of go, oh, now it looks like me. I was like, okay, that's if I face this, this is all I need to do. But 
I kind of spoke to Peter on it and he said, we'll never do that. Educate them, like tell them, like, like teach them. And he showed me this picture of this girl and he said, what do you think of her? I said, yeah, she's beautiful. She's absolutely beautiful. And he said, when I photographed her, she sh- we brought her out, we showed her the images on the screen and she shouted across at her husband in the, the studio, honey, I hate my face. And she was Miss Universe and that photograph was taken. And I kind of thought, oh, Jesus, it happens to him too. And it's happening to Miss Universe. And it's ha- like it's happened to models in my studio as well. Um, a guy who walked runways all over the world. He's from Dublin, a guy named Gary Talbot. And the exact same thing happened with Gary in the studio where he said, I hate my face. I said, Gary, I take a hammer to my face to look like you. And he kind of just laughed. And we had a conversation about it, but it was the fact that he didn't know what he looked like. And that was one big turning point. Another was um, 2017, I was doing a lot of work with still makeup academies, model agencies. I was shooting a lot of different things in that sector, in that area, because I'd kind of still ended up in that, that area after I'd stopped shooting magazine covers and stuff. And I was supposed to go to India to photograph acid attack victims. And there was a bit of a row with the lady who runs the charity because she was asking for a video guy to go over to India. She was asking me if we knew anybody. Um, because the guy that she had lined up to do video was now looking for money. I said, well, I hope you don't think I'm going to India for a month. Shipping myself over, my assistant over, all of my equipment over. Closing the studio for a month. Then paying to have the images professionally retouched and edited like to, to, to kind of bring them up to see what we see. And then just giving them over to you. You know, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not costing myself nearly two months worth of salary. And closing the studio just to go to India to do you a favor. Like, you know, it was going to charge her significantly less than what it was going to cost. But, you know, she kind of kicked up a bit of a fuss. And I said, you know, I don't need this anymore. I don't need to be chasing. Like, this industry is false promises and air kisses, and I'm sick of it. So I said, this is just, it's it's not doing me any favors. I'm working my arse off to try and please these people. And I don't want to do this anymore. And the next day I was in LinkedIn. And I was doing a talk to, I think I had about 70 people in the room um, about positive self-image and self-acceptance and this concept of am I ugly and the fact that it's out there as a question on the internet. People are posting videos on YouTube asking, am I ugly? And I did that talk and the room kind of fell silent when I hit the am I ugly section. And I was standing in front of all of these people. Some of them were crying because there's a, a very powerful piece in it about a, a young child. Um, and I just thought, this is where I need to be. These people need to hear this. This is what people want, you know, this, not that they want it, but it gives something to people rather than me photographing actors and models and stuff. Now I still shoot them when they come into the studio, but I said, everybody needs to be hearing this stuff and everybody needs to know that it applies to them. And everybody needs to know that they're just as beautiful as the next person, whether they're an actor, a model, a housewife you know, a bin man, it doesn't really matter. Like everybody needs to hear this. Um, but it's like, it sounds like you found purpose. I was doing it anyway. And I was telling people these things anyway. And I knew it was, it was big and I knew it was good. And I knew it was, but you know what? Simon Sinek talks about the golden circle and he talks about why, you know, if you know your why, then everything else just makes sense. And I think that turning point was, I think meeting Peter and stuff kind of 
made me understand the why. I knew if I was good crack when I was photographing people, then I get these genuine reactive expressions and they like the pictures and stuff. I knew that from shooting weddings and stuff anyway. Um, and I think it just solidified the why. And then it was only like maybe last year, the year before, where I heard this why thing from Simon Sinek when somebody told me about it. And he was, it just made sense, you know, it kind of aligned what I was doing and why I was doing it. Um, and or why I was doing it and what I was doing and how I was doing it rather than if you, you kind of go with the Simon Sinek thing. Um, yeah, so I think that made sense, but I never really set out to do it. It was just something that I found myself doing. Um, and because it made me feel good, I continued to do it because I really enjoy doing it. It made me feel good and I still do it. Um, and it's kind of progressed into me working with craniofacial prosthesis patients me working with little kids with cancer who are going back to school after their chemo. Me working with, you know, I'm doing that project perfect thing at the moment. Well, I'm, I'm kind of, COVID has put a bit of a halt on it, but we're going to be working with people with facial differences. So like visible birthmarks on their faces, scars. We photographed a couple of people with um, facial paralysis and stuff like that. The show that it doesn't really matter like who you, it, it matters who you are, not what you look like. You know, there's beauty in every face and it's just that your face is slightly different and we're going to show, you know, what you have going on and how cool you are. Um, so, yeah, we're like, it, it's kind of for the good of the village, you know, and a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing for free as well, which, you know, any of that sort of project work and stuff I do for free and I bring people into the studio and work with them for free because everybody has the entitlement to feel beautiful and happy and confident and comfortable in their own skin. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. Um, like it's classless, it's raceless. You know, it's the only thing it is is that we wear this on on the outside of ourselves. And we need to understand that you're perfect as you are. You know, wonderful, John. Thank you so much. It's uh, you've given us food for thought, and I think you've also given us some ways of looking at things. the The statement that I like that you said just more recently now is, "We don't know what we look like." You know, it's kind of, it's uh, when we realize what to look for, I think we will actually see what you see. Yeah, it's kind of like the... It's powerful stuff. It's kind of like the fight or flight reaction hormone thing. You know, adenosine, cortisol, glucagon and epinephrine. These are your fight or flight reaction hormones. And how we release them is the same in excitement as it is in stress. But you make the decision and the determination as to how you feel. Um, and that carries across into self-image as well. You know, how you walk in the skin you wear is your decision. Why not embrace it? What other choice do you have? Yeah. Tell us how people can find out more about you. Um, the easiest way is to go on to johnmarieheadshots.com and there's click through links into all my social media platforms. Everything else is there. Except Ox Oxygen uh, Social, which is a new social media platform, they don't have a click through button on it yet. Um, but you can mm -hmm. find me on that as well. So yeah, just johnmarieheadshots.com and everything, all the details are there, all of my contact details are there, and kind of chat to me anywhere. Thank you so much, John. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about John, check out his website at johnmurrayheadshots.com and if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable I would greatly appreciate it 
If you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything else, email me at ask at finolahoward.com and I'll be back next week with another guest. And until then, take care.